This month in traditional and modern worship, our pastoral team is preaching the series The Art of Hearing, which focuses on the practice of hearing and being heard by attending to Jesus' words in the stories of Luke's Gospel. Jesus' words, his posture, his orientation, and his relationship speak volumes. What this models for us is not only the power of God's voice and presence, but also our ability to hear and respond, whether with our voices or with our lives. This series shows us what it means to hear, to listen, to attend to God's Spirit in every situation, as God promises to provide the Holy Spirit to us. But like any other craft or art form, the art of hearing requires practice, discipline, and intentionality. Aspects of love. Love changes everything. Just a few days ago, we celebrated Valentine's Day. And maybe you remember along the way in your life when love changed everything. You looked at life in a whole new different way. I have shared a couple of times with some of you my favorite Hallmark card, I think, that I found this year and and sent to my wife, gave to my wife. On the front of the card, it says, Honey, you really get me. And you open up and it says, Something might be wrong with you. Well, aspects of romantic love, Andrew Lloyd Webber and others get it so well. Aspects of Jesus' love, that's a whole different sort of thing. I noticed that this passage today begins with love your enemies, But before that, Jesus says, I am saying something to you that listen, that you won't get this right off the bat. You'll have to listen to get this. And it reminded me that throughout the Gospels, uh, I counted them, there are seven places when Jesus is really talking about aspects of God's love, aspects of living in the way that the God of Jesus calls us to live uh, courageously in this dangerous world. Jesus concludes his teachings with anyone with ears. Let that person hear. We're exploring uh, during uh, these uh, days of epiphany what we call the, the art of hearing. And it occurs to me that there is quite a challenge for the art of hearing Jesus, his aspects of love. Um, love your enemies. Don't fight back. If they curse you, bless them. These Rugged, radical words have gotten smooth because we've heard them over and over again in our lives. And sometimes we forget these are world-changing, life-changing ways to live. We're good, and uh, Jesus says that. Uh, Loving people that love us and agree with us and look like us and think like us and smell like us, But it's in this world, there are a lot of people uh, that don't think the way we do or don't believe the way we do. And uh, you don't need me to tell you how the news every day shows that on this earth, we are not good 
at loving enemies. And that's why so many days you see the news, you hear the news, you think, man, we are on a powder keg. Truth is, sometimes it's not even easy to to love the people you love. Have you ever noticed sometimes in our families, the people we love the most can uh, tick us off? Have you, maybe not you, but, but some of us have even ticked off people that love us. Uh, we work with people every day, and sometimes with the people you work, you get on each other's nerves. Um, have you ever felt like you were around some enemies when you're driving on 280? And... Uh, Jesus says, love your enemies. Does that mean that Republicans have to live, I have to love Democrats? Do Democrats have to love Republicans? You've got to do that for God to love you? Well, not exactly. I have shared this story many times over the years. It comes from Albert Outler. Uh, it was a conversation he had late in his life. Albert Outler uh, was at one point called Mr. Methodism. He was a scholar. He was a minister. He was a theologian. He taught many years at SMU, at our Perkins School of Theology, one of our United, seven United Methodist seminaries. That's where Robin uh, White, our uh, minister of adult uh, ministries, did her training in, in spiritual guidance. Albert Outler was the scholar who identified the Wesleyan quadrangle, uh, the way to uh, discern, decide what is a uh, faithful way to proceed in life. You remember that, I think. Uh, Number one and the most important, Scripture, and then tradition, and then reason, and then experience. Uh, Late in his life, uh, Albert Outler was being interviewed, and uh, he was asked, Dr. Outler, you've preached and you've taught many years around the world. What do you understand to be the heart of the gospel? And uh, silver-haired, courtly uh, Albert Outler paused and said, You know, for over 40 years, I have preached and I have taught that the heart of the gospel is that we have just got to love each other on this earth. Almost too late, I realized that's wrong. The heart of the gospel is not that we have got to love each other. The heart of the gospel is that we get to love each other. Very different. It has to do with what uh, some may call the grammar of the gospel. Uh, Do you remember how much you loved grammar when you were in about the 7th or 8th grade? I think I kind of liked diagramming sentences. And uh, do you recall learning the difference between two kinds of statements? One was called indicative The other was called imperative. And I know this is really raising goosebumps with you right now, uh, like it did in the eighth grade. But but listen, this is pretty important. 
An indicative sentence states, well, it indicates something. It states a reality. An imperative sentence is a command, a demand, sometimes an order. Do this. And the challenge is, so often we emphasize the imperatives of the Bible. Love your enemies. Forgive. Go second miles. Like, you've got to do this to get God to love you. We miss. Uh, and it comes with a full study of Scripture and its wholeness and its context. It probably comes out better if you get in a Bible study like Disciple Bible or something and see it with others and the Spirit moves you. But the basic uh, message of the Bible is, an is not an imperative. It is an indicative God says to the people of Israel, I have led you out of bondage. You, once you were no people, now you are my people. You are holy and precious to me. Indicative, indicative, indicative. And in the context of that, here are my commandments. No gods but me. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't steal. Be faithful in your relationships. Those imperatives, those do's, are because God has first loved us. God loves us, and therefore we are able to do these things. The Bible is not about what God demands of us so God will love us. The Bible is what God makes possible for us to do that we could not do on our own because God loves us. It's even fuller for Christians in the New Testament. God so loved the world. Uh, those passages, uh, the time has come. The Spirit is near. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is with you. All those things mean that God's presence, God's power, God's grace is with us. And so we get to do those things of loving and forgiving and going second miles, even loving enemies, because by grace we can do what we could not do on our own. Grace, God's beyond our own doing, love, help, strength by which we can do uh, what we could not do without grace. There's something about the grace of worship. Oh my goodness, the grace of music that infuses us with energy and courage and lifts our spirits. There's something about the grace that comes through the study of Scripture. There's something about the grace that comes through people who love us and put up with us. Uh, I'm sort of sentimental about it, but it's something about the, the grace that comes to us through our pets that somehow... Uh, show us a little bit about unconditional love. There's something about the grace of a beautiful day. There's something, and this is amazing grace, that God somehow can bubble up from within in us. God only knows where. Strength that we know that's not our own. And we're able to love and forgive and go on when we'd otherwise not do so. Um, the grammar of the gospel of the Bible is the foundation and the bedrock of indicatives. 
love one another as I have loved you. Uh, You are given uh, grace, the mysterious strength beyond your own to do this. The uh, indicative jewel in our passage today is be merciful to one another because God is merciful to the wicked and the unjust indicative so we can be merciful imperative with each other and in the context of God who among us at some point in life was not wicked or who among us have have not been uh, people who have fallen short of the glory of God Uh, maybe not in a big time way but this excludes none of us Uh, God is merciful to us, and so we can be merciful to each other. There's hope. It's not easy. It's long-term. It may not be magic. But we, as God's people, are given this this grace, uh, this mysterious strength. And it gives us hope that as we face uh, the challenges of our world, uh, the, uh, the issues of racial justice and the issues of, of, of sexuality, uh, the daily challenge of toxic politics, uh, we have the capacity, not because we've got to, but we get to. One of the uh, things that has helped me recently is rereading a book called The Power of Habits. You may have read this before. I, I reread it a few days ago. And in it, the writer, Charles Duhigg, talks about how the power of habits can help us be better in our lives as we learn good patterns of behavior, good habits. We know we have bad habits we need to deal with, and he helps with that. But he he notes that there are certain things he calls keystone habits, certain habits that if we begin to do these things repeatedly, we don't have to think about them every time we do it. We just naturally do them. Uh, One he talks about is the habit of of regular exercise. He talks about studies and statistics, and I'm not going to bore you with those, but he talks about those, the studies that say that the habit of regular exercise is a keystone habit that leads to the habit of eating well. And eating well leads to the habit and the condition of having more energy and having a better attitude toward one's life. He talks about, and I'm reading this quoting this statement studies show that families who habitually eat dinner together seem to raise children with better homework skills higher grades greater emotional control and more confidence there's something about when people regularly eat with each other Uh, we should know that as people of the table The one that caught my eye the most was what he talked about, regular participation in what Duhigg called communities of belief, uh, a.k.a. also known for us as churches. 
Somehow, when people come together on a regular uh, basis by habit, uh, we receive strength and inspiration for our lives to live faithfully, to make better decisions because uh, the chemistry of being together enables us to be better at our faith, better at our lives than we are on our own. Now, everyone knows the church is not perfect, and the line between good people and bad people are not at the church door. Uh, all that's understood, even though uh, the church is far from perfect. Communities of belief enable us to be better at living in Jesus' way, not because we've got to, but because we, we get to. We've been talking about the art of hearing. Here is a habit of, of a sort that uh, came out in uh, our disciple Bible study. Uh, a, there's a disciple two Bible study on Wednesday nights that I get to be a part of, and it's on Zoom. And, and one of our participants who never misses is Kathleen Lahr. She lives in Indiana. Uh, her parents are here in the church, the Bays. And we were talking about what it means to really listen. And she said, let me share something with you from my mentor uh, in the company that I worked. Her mentor's name was Renee Love. Isn't that a great name? And she recounted how under uh, Renee's leadership, whenever uh, the leadership of the company was dealing with a problem situation, a problem person, a, a client or a customer or an employee, and that person had said something or done something that was edgy, uh, that, was, uh, that came across as angry or condemning, that uh, Renee Love would say, we're going to stop here. And we're going to do everything we can do to listen to this generously. Generous listening. And in generous listening, there was sort of a list of some questions. Um, what's going on in this person's life? Has this person's uh, life situation changed in a way that has nothing to do with this, but it's coming out here? Uh, are we really missing something that we need to know in, in being uh, good in this client relationship or with this employee? Uh, maybe, maybe uh, the client, uh, the customer, the employee, maybe they really are being a jerk. Maybe they fell and hit their head and we need to call 911. But the, pro the process was you go through all the many possible possibilities that could be. And so the, uh, the end result is you are responsive. You seek to be graceful. You seek to find what may be something that makes more sense of this. And at least uh, you don't get into the sort of the retaliatory cycle we get sometimes when we just immediately react to someone who ticks us off. Think about it. What would it be like if you and I kind of developed a few questions uh, in family relationships when someone ticks us off? Or maybe in our work? Or wouldn't that be wonderful in, in, in world relationships? Wouldn't it be great if our leaders would try that? 
You know, I don't know if that would be perfect. I don't know if that would work with Vladimir Putin. I don't even know if it would work with your bombastic Uncle Ralph. But it's worth a chance. It's worth a try. The art of hearing, listening generously. Not because we've got to, but because of Jesus' love and grace, we get to. Well, think about it. Try it. As I conclude, in, in Duhigg, uh, he did a section on uh, controversy in society of how there can be practices in groups that can lead to peace and reconciliation and not just further uh, polarization. And he recalls uh, the history of the famous Montgomery bus boycott in the mid-1950s. You probably, uh, I was a little kid then, you might not have even been alive then, but you probably know something about that history. Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat to a white person. Uh, There's a young Baptist preacher, Martin Luther King, who's just come to Montgomery. And out of all of that, there comes a year-long bus boycott. And it was a little step, but a forward step in moving beyond the the segregation of that time. At one point, uh, some Klan types bomb uh, Martin Luther King's home. He's a preacher. He's off at meetings the way most of us preachers are. And he gets a call. This, This bombing has happened at his home. His wife and his child, his baby is there. He rushes home. And thankfully, although the house is damaged, Uh, His wife and the baby is okay. This angry mob has gotten assembled around his house. It's getting bigger and bigger, and they're they're looking for rocks, and they've got uh, sticks, and they're talking about going and getting their guns, and it's just about to just blow. And and one of the, the Montgomery policemen say to him, Preacher, you've got to do something. And so Martin Luther King, young guy in his 20s, here's what he said. Don't get panicky. Don't get your weapons. We must love our white brothers and sisters no matter what they do to us. Must show them we love them. Hear hear this. Jesus still cries out across the centuries, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. The angry crowd dispersed. They went home. A white Montgomery policeman said, if it wasn't for that in preacher, we'd all be dead. Maybe not immediately, certainly not easily. Love changes everything how we live and how we die. Let anyone who has ears to hear, hear. Amen.